So what I'd like us to do is here standing, me standing here next to this replica of Jesus in a trough in the manger. I enjoyed hearing you sing this morning, and so I'm going to ask you to sing with me. And as we do, you that, that have been trained vocally or love to sing parts, find a part, and even if you're tone deaf, just sing it out loud. Uh, we'll forgive you, and just sing this with me. Ready? Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. gorgeous. I feel like we should open presents. (laughs) That song is so beautiful. It is so innocuous, meaning that it is just so harmless, not likely to give offense, neither to arouse strong negative feelings or any kind of hostility. It's just that sweet Jesus. Then we hit verse 3. And I want you to sing that one if you can remember the words. It starts like this. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and take us to heaven to live with thee there. So for Jesus to grant that request, he is going to have to go from this to this. He's going to have to go from sweet head on hay to strong hand on whip. And if we're followers of Jesus, which is why we are a community of faith, if you want to know why we exist, we exist to follow Jesus. We exist to define what it is to follow him and demonstrate it in our lives. In doing so, we believe in revealing Jesus in that way that we bring life to everything around us because Jesus is life. That's why we have have focused so much on this whole idea of CPR and our own way CPR, meaning, first of all, we connect with people, and as we connect and walk with them, that life that Jesus has given us spreads to them. And then as we're doing that, the P stands for power, the power of his very spirit comes through us and strengthens us to live that way. And then R stands for resources as we share what we have with other people. It's the love of Jesus being expressed to them. And that's why we're focused there. And so to be able to do that, I think we need to know who Jesus is. And that's why we've spent and are spending 20 weeks talking about this essential Jesus, talking about 
who he is. So every, every Sunday as we gather together, one of the teaching team, and I had the privilege this morning, I get to share with you an aspect of who he is, a characterization of Jesus, his personality, what he did. And then this week, you have five readings that you focus on out of the book, The Essential Jesus. And we're going to do this for 20 weeks, 100 readings. And if you don't have a book, you say, I'd, I'd like to come with you through that. It sounds like you've already started. Oh, we got plenty of time. It's going to take us right up to Easter. You can just stop by the resource desk in the back, the media desk, and we have the books there, and they're only $10, and, and it, it's pretty inexpensive for all the reading you get to do. You say, well, it's been a tough, tough month, a tough year, and I don't have $10. And you stop by and just say, I'd like to have it as a gift, and we'll give it to you because we want you to have that to join with us. So this transition from sweet head on hay to strong hand on whip began to materialize itself when Jesus was home. And he stood before his friends and his family in that town of Nazareth, and, and they invited him to, to be the guest speaker there in the synagogue. And as he began to speak, he read to them a prophetic word about one who would come who would fix the world and banish evil. And after he read it, he said, it's me. Now, they thought that was a really good idea until they discovered that in this whole concept of banishing evil, he wasn't necessarily on their team and would not necessarily manage their battle plan. It infuriated them to such a degree that they tried to throw him off a cliff, but because he is who he is and his time had not yet come for him to die, he was able to slip away from them. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago in a topic called The Unlikely, Jesus, or the Unlikely King, and I encourage you to, to go to our website and, and download these last couple podcasts to get caught up where we are. What follows then is this, and Luke records it in Luke 4, and he says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, on the Sabbath began to teach the people. And they were amazed of his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice, Ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, and come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits. And they come out, and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Have you ever dealt with a demonic power? Pam and I had just been married for a couple of years, or a couple of months, actually, and, and I was in my first, first week of, of actually working in a church. And the receptionist called my office and said, there's someone on the phone for you. And, and so we had just moved to Sacramento, California. We're going to just enjoy California and the beauty there and, and the sunshine. And, and I thought it was just this was a wonderful assignment. And, and so I answered the phone, and this voice said, is this Jack Reisner? And I said, yes, it is. And then the voice changed. The voice went into this, this guttural, hellish sound knowing it was just not just someone making up a, a voice because I could, I could sense what was there and the hair on my arms began to stand up and I realized that this was a demonic voice talking to me and the voice said this, I know why you're in this city. 
and you're not welcome here, and if you don't leave, I'll kill you and your wife. Thank you for calling. <laughs> I sat there, and I just, I just, I was overcome with shock. I thought I was coming to the beauty of California, and I realized I had walked into a battlefield. And they don't, they don't have courses in, in, in Bible college, hiding from demons 101A. They don't have that stuff. And I knew that I was dealing with a power that was much stronger than me. These people understood this whole thing about demons. So Jesus, because of how he had been treated in Nazareth at that city of higher elevation, comes down to the coastal plains, further around the lake of the Sea of Galilee, and there he sets up a new headquarters. This is where he's going to work from, this place called Capernaum, a town of about 1,500 people. He goes into the synagogue and begins to teach. And as he's teaching, there is a closet demoniac. Because if they had known he was demonized, they would not have let him in. And everybody knows everybody in that town. So somehow this guy got by incognito. Nobody knew. And he'd been quiet all this time, but no longer could the demon remain quiet because he recognizes someone. And he recognizes Jesus, and he cries out, I know who you are. Those people up in Nazareth may not know you, but I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And now he's concerned about his own well-being, and he says, have you come to destroy us? Well, let's pause for a moment. So Jesus, who are you that you're having a dialogue with a demon? And who are you that this demon is actually fearful for its existence because of your presence? Who are you that you did not go through the normal process of exorcism, which included incantations and incense and calling on angels and praying to Jehovah God to remove the demon. Instead, who are you that you just commanded that demon to leave and it left? Who are you? There was something they noticed immediately that put Jesus apart from everybody else, any other teacher. He wasn't technically a rabbi. He had not studied with any well-known rabbi, but this they noticed. And the Greeks called it this, he had dunamai and exousia. Dunamai is the power to do something, and exousia is the authority to do it. And nobody else had that ability. Jesus was functioning on a level, on a plane, never seen before. And it seemed as though it was rooted in some alien foreign authority that just messed with their minds. Our daughter Christy has always been a very strong-willed lady. And so in her early years of life, she could become very resistant. And it was one of those moments when I had told her to do something and she resisted. She drug her heels. She was, she was testing me. And then she went into this thing, and if you as parents may remember this as you've raised your children, or maybe you're going through it now, she started the whole thing of, well, why? 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 And then it just bubbled up from within me. I had always thought that it would never 
happened to me. I never thought the words would come out of my lips. I had always repressed it, but it just boiled up like a volcano. And in the midst of all the why, 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 I suddenly blurted out, because I said so. I'd become my dad. And furthermore, if you continue to resist my authority, I have the power to follow up with this toots. See, the demons understood that Jesus gets to say, because I said so. And he has the power to back it up. I think we live in a time right now where we want Jesus just to stay sweet head on hay and hang out right here in the manger. We don't want him to exercise his authority. We live in a time where all powers and gods should be free to do what they want to do because everybody should have free will. So let's just let everybody do their thing. And nobody has authority over anybody else. It's a level playing field. But Jesus said it's not true. He said authority is to be over others, and I have that authority. So he taught with authority. Every other rabbi in that nation taught by quoting another rabbi. So if I'm teaching you today, then that's all I learned, and I quoted Rabbi Don Fisher. And, and he quoted Rabbi Billy Graham. And, then, and he quoted Rabbi Charles Stanley. And everybody quoted some, somebody else. There was no inherent power. There was no inherent authority. Everybody quoted everybody else. That's what you did. And then the Sanhedrin would authorize you and, and, and would certify you, would ordain you because you are quoting the right people. Jesus didn't quote anybody. Jesus had no footnotes that said, see this commentary. Jesus didn't use words from other leaders. Jesus had authority to say whatever he wanted to say, and he made it binding on humanity. He said, I said this, and it applies to you. But how can you do that? On what basis? Jesus explains. John, a follower of Jesus, writes these words. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing, and whatever the Father does, the Son also does, for the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man, and then you'll truly be astonished, for just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute what? Authority to judge, so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. See, your big sister can try to push you around, and you can say to her, but you're not the boss of me. You can't say that to Jesus. Demons know Jesus is the boss of me. They fear him. They respect his authority. 
what he says they have to do because you'll never find Jesus saying to a demon, come out of that person, and the demon saying, no, nah, I don't feel like going. He doesn't sit there and go, why, 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 why? And if demons know that, those spiritual forces, maybe we should pay attention. Jesus' authority spans so much. Here's a list of what we know, how Jesus uses authority. To teach whatever he wants and make it binding and determinative upon our eternal destiny. He has authority to heal the sick. He uses authority to make people undead. He has authority to cast out demons, to forgive sin, to designate who is a child of God, to give eternal life, and he has the authority to judge every single person. And it's like he just barges in to our authority structure and says, I'm here and I get to do what I want. Ever have anybody do that to your life? They barge in and they start just ruling and they mess up your authority structure? My wife Pam's not here this morning, so I will talk about her. <laughs> She's actually in Kansas City, and she is uh, at a baby shower for our daughter-in-law who's having a child in January. So I get a second grandchild. So this is cool. Yeah? So let's keep this quiet among us as we talk today. So Pam volunteered to be responsible for the decorating of the church this year. And so she came in. I said, okay, we're going to give you authority. And understand what authority is. Authority denotes permission, privilege, power, rule, control, influence. You get to determine things. You get to make decisions. You get to render judgments. You wield rights and privileges. So I said, here's your authority, and it's within these parameters that you can function, and whatever you want to do in there, you get to do. So she got together a really great creative and hardworking team, and they worked hard for really a lot, like several days to get all this stuff going and, and putting it together. And, and I thought we were done last week. And so the night before Thanksgiving, the afternoon before Thanksgiving, she disappears for a couple of hours. And I said, where were you? I said, I went by the church to grab some stuff. And I said, well, if you just went to grab some stuff, what took you so long? She said, well, I did some other stuff. And then she said, I made some table decorations. I said, there's no tables in the sanctuary. She said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I made table decorations because I've decided to move a couple of the high top tables out of the hospitality room and put them in the lobby. I said, you did what? She said, I'm, I'm going to move tables in the lobby. Well, who told you you could do that? She said, I just decided I'm going to. I said, well, who gave you authority to start moving stuff around the church? And then, because we've been married 38 years, we have this, 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 able, this ability to communicate without words. And so I looked at her, and she, I know she understood what I was saying. I looked at her saying, who do you think you are? And her response back to me by just her look was, I'm your wife and I control the atmosphere at home. I said, I think the tables are a great idea. I think that's going to work. So they're out there today. We had this authority structure in place. And she messed with it. There was this authority structure in place, and Jesus did not ask for approval. He didn't ask them to approve his doctrine, to approve his healings, to approve casting out demons, to approve his verdicts, his judgments. 
He didn't ask them to help him decide who are the children of God or who gets eternal life. He ignored them and just did what he wanted, and it even got worse. Back to our picture. He said to them, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And so he turned everything there upside down, saying, let's start fresh. And he didn't even have a permit to do it. He pitted himself against an authority structure that had been rooted in history, tradition, and religion. And after that, a few days later, he has the audacity to come back into that place and begin to teach as if he owns the place. And Matthew tells us what happens next. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? They're saying, who do you think you are? The fight for authority is centered in the temple. That's the place for us where we get honest with ourselves. This is the place where we begin to talk about inside here who's in control. Who do I believe? Who do I trust? And we get very, very authentic, very transparent. And, and for us personally, that takes place in a place we call our heart because the Scripture says this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and it also includes this, this, this collective gathering of all of us together, which he said as community, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, here and here, that's my turf. It's mine. I'm staking claim to this. And because it's mine, this will be here and here, a place of prayer, meaning this is the place where you will have intimate communion with God and everything else gets thrown out. So Jesus comes in, cleanses it, takes center stage, and begins to teach the kingdom of heaven is here right now in this place. Jesus dismantles everything man-made, exposing all authority that's hidden behind pretend worship. But who is he to barge in? So they challenge him. And now this is not a couple guys who walk by and say, hey, dude, what are you doing? This includes the high priest. He's there. This is the captain, the captain who's responsible for the worship functioning within the temple and who has the authority to arrest anybody who messes with it. This includes those 24 priests who that week have been assigned for the sacrificing. It includes 156 daily priests and the overseer priests who carried the keys to the doors and administrated everything. And those overseers who were over the music and the trumpets and the bakery and the salt and the wood and the drink offering and the water and on and on and on, and the treasurers who collected the money. They're all there, including the scribes and the other rabbis. They're all there. It's a mass of people, and they look at Jesus and say, who do you think you are? So in typical rabbinical matter, manner, Jesus turns to them and answers a question with a question. And he says this, and Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question, and if you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? So they all get together, and so we huddle together, and we say, okay, he asks us the question, and here's the deal, because if we say he's from heaven, 
then everything he has said is true. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We can't do that. But if we say he's from man, these people who know he's from God and that he's, the really, he's a really important prophet and he's very, very popular right now, if we say he's from man, then we lose our credibility. So in their incredible wisdom, they turn to Jesus and they give such a profound answer. Uh, like, uh, we don't know. That's it. We don't know. They do know. But they're refusing to focus on the facts. Because if they affirm Jesus, they lose control. So Jesus responds, so I won't tell you where I get my authority. In other words, you don't get any more of me. We're done. And John, the follower of Jesus, would tell us that the me he's talking about is the light of the world. And at that moment, Jesus turns to these people and says, lights out. I'm done. And then he comes to them, to them with another zinger, with another question. And here's what he says. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And and he says this, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. So which of the two did what his father wanted? And they were excited because they, they know the answer to this one. Well, the first one they answered. What's happening here is more than little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Because you can't be Lord Jesus and be innocuous. If you are Lord Jesus, you are offensive. You, you create strong feelings. And so Jesus gives this judgment. He said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He's saying this to the religious leaders. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. He said, that's who John is. He came to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. And Jesus turns the light off, says, that's it for you. See, what we need to understand is that Jesus is his own authority. He doesn't need man's approval. He doesn't, make, he doesn't come to entertain us or make us feel good about him. He doesn't need to quote great leaders. He just says, my father tells me what to do, and I do it. My father tells me what to say, and I say it. Over and over again, he reveals himself by his words, by his power, and by the transformation of broken people. Jesus is the boss of me. And it's true because he said so. And there's no authority greater than him. And then I love this because here's what this authority says. Speaking to Joseph, he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will what? Save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So whether he is sweet head on hay or strong hand 
on whip. For most of us in this place today, Jesus is messing with our authority structure right now. He does that. Something's happening in your life right now and you can't get a handle on it and you're wondering where God is in the process or you're blaming God for it and and you don't know what to do with this thing and you want to just say to him, who do you think you are? Well, from what we just read, I'll tell you who he is. He is God. And he is in the process of saving you. So I think we need to go back to the temple. Let's go back to that that place of honesty, that place of transparency. And I think we need to answer the question, who's in control? Who has the authority? Because I think if we go there, and, and we've been asking, who do you think you are? I think the honest question is not asking Jesus, who do you think you are? The honest question is coming right back at us, who do you think you are? So could we just come back to that place, to that temple? Could we just, could we take the things that are harassing us right now, the things that are frustrating us, the things that are causing anger? Several weeks ago, something happened in our home and, and I, I got angry and Pam said, what's that all about? And, and I didn't know and I'm, so I was, I was taking a shower. I said, God, what, why, why did I just get angry? What was that about? Because I wouldn't usually get angry. And, and you know what God, I felt like God said to me? You're still hearing voices from your father that frustrated you. And you have not let me deal with that. I had to go back out and say, Pam, I'm so sorry. And then I had to say, God, help me. Help me get a hold of this thing and let you have it. So for some of us in this place today, we're going to have to let go. We're going to have to say, I've got to let go of control, and I've, and I've got to let him work out his plan. I've got to. And some of you here have given it, taken it back, given it, taken it back, given it, taken it back, given it, taken it back. That's okay. Give it again. Some of you are going to have to trust him even when you don't understand it. Because you read through the Old Testament and you'll keep hearing this word about his, his everlasting love, his everlasting kindness, and it simply means his favor, which is someone who is superior giving favor to someone who is inferior and loving doing it. And there's no vanishing point to it. So some have to let go, some have to trust, and some of us in here have to obey even if it hurts. It's time to take that thing, those things, and to place them under his authority. Because what he uses that authority for is this, to be God and to save us. So why wouldn't we want him to have control? So we're going to end this morning this way. Would you stand? And we're going to sing again. And while we sing, I want you, as I was talking just a moment ago, some things came into your heart, into your mind, and you're thinking, yeah, I've got to let go. I've got to trust. I've got to respond this way. And and would you begin, because I could have you come here and we could pray over you and we'd be glad to do that, but the bottom line is we're going to pray over you anyhow, but you've got to put it in action. You've got to do something with this. 
But I'm going to tell you this, that the moment you begin to put it under his authority, because you put it under him, he's known as the Prince of Peace. And you're going to start finding peace is going to be filtering down into those parts of your life. And you're going to say, I, I don't know why I feel okay about this, but I'm at peace even though I don't have the answer. Because that's who he is. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's going to care for you. You may be here saying, I really don't have a relationship with him. As we sing, I invite you just to say, Jesus, I want to put my faith in you because there's no authority greater than you. And you said that if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all impurity. And just say, Jesus, I, I just want you to forgive me. Because I'm going to tell you, by the time we end that song, and actually the moment you say it, he eradicates, he removes all records of your sin. And then wants to come in and lead you as you submit yourself to him. That's why he's Lord Jesus. Because he will guide you. There's this great passage in the Old Testament that says that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. And I used to think that means if I listen good enough, I can hear God say, walk this way, walk this way, walk this way. It's not what it says. What it says is this, that when I focus on an intimate relationship with him and trust him with my life, and I think that I'm doing the right thing, that as I'm walking, he said, as you walk, when you hit the ground, I will make that ground move up to your feet and make it steady for you and make it the place you need to be. I will make it happen for you because you care so much for me. So I think, you, I think this morning some of you just need to relinquish it and say, Jesus, I'm going to put my faith in you. You need to do that. So we're going to sing this, and I'll close this out at the end. But as we're singing, would you, however you need to respond to God this morning, would you, in your heart, respond to him? Oh, come, oh, ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ Lord. And now to the King Eternal, immortal, the only wise God, be blessing, and glory, and honor, and power forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.